0: To the Motherfucker podcast regularly at the end, right after I've given given the credits to Kirsten, our artist, and Brian, our producer, and everyone at the Head team.
1: You'll hear me, my cutouts that Brian has uh, sliced out from what I've said in the middle, and he sticks at the end to embarrass me. Those so then!
0: T- <laughs> those two, but you will also hear a golden voice that Irish radio listeners will be familiar telling you this has been a production of the Headstuff podcast network. That voice is none other than our next guest, who is. Is
2: Not. It? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <never knew> that. <laughs> All right, <Yes>.
0: <laughs> that's none other than our next guest, who we're um, bring on today to talk about one of the, a project that that he was already famous before he started the Ricochet Book Club, and now it's something he's really well known for: getting the whole country reading again. Ricochet. Thank
3: you. Yeah. You know. Can you hear me? One, two, one, two. We're all good. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna sit back, sorry, because these seats look really comfortable. They really are. Yeah, that, actually, that, yeah. Should we lounge for this bit? That, I think bit? so.
0: Yeah, it's book yeah, time.
3: Okay. Um, I'm gonna I,
1: be an uptight bitch here, and I'm just gonna. <laughs> I love
3: that. I love that you learn something new every panel, and you've just learned something brand new, which is that I'm the voice at the end of your podcast, which is great. <laughs> I never
1: put two and two together there. I always just assumed it was one of the lads in the studio. Yeah, was, Yeah, it's just
3: in a way. Um, I, uh, I I am violently underqualified to be on this podcast tonight, and I apologise in advance for having no knowledge about anything you've been talking about, other than I really love the idea that the Irish Rosetta Stone has fart jokes in it. I think that's I <laughs> my favourite thing about the evening so far.
0: Great stuff. Rick, you were, you were worried about coming on today because you were anxious about your level of Irish, and I'm not going to ask you about your late to Sarah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Or... Uh, or I
3: I, things. No, it's not. It's, uh, worried about my, my level of Irish is a bit wrong. I, I'm just one of those kids who was uh, taught in the way kids were taught in Christian Brothers schools mm-hmm. in the late 1980s and early 1990s and... You know, one of those people who would willingly have taken every copy of Peg and put it in a bonfire somewhere. (gasps) Oh, someone really doesn't like Peg
1: over there. That was disgust (laughs) that I heard. Yeah, (laughs) it was
3: absolutely. And (laughs) the the way the way it was taught to us, I I, it was the worst subject I had for my leaving cert. It was the one I got my worst leaving cert out of. I
0: thought it was funny because I had a classmate who used to hate Peg. He said it was so depressing, but his favourite bands were Joy Division and Radiohead.
3: And I love Leonard Cohen. Yeah, look. I, I, and the, the weird thing is, I think if as an adult I read it now, I would probably appreciate it in a completely different way than, mm-hmm. than the way I did not appreciate it when I was, you know, mm-hmm. 15 or
0: 16. So, where did the book, love of books start?
3: Uh, it was all I did when I was a kid. Um, no, that's a lie. I, I spent an inordinate amount of time watching television. Ask me anything about 80s television, I've got it. It's all been here. I've watched every episode of Dynasty, Dallas, the whole thing. I knew a shot <laughs> JR. Um, mm-hmm. I... I I suppose it's because when I grew up, um, I I didn't necessarily come from a house that had a load of books in it all the time as loads of kids find their way into reading that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I started reading um, relatively early on, so I'm told... Um, And then I just kind of never stopped. I started by reading stuff like The Famous Five and Secret Seven and The Three Investigators and The Hardy Boys and anything that was written for kids of a certain age. Mm. And I got through them fairly sharpishly. And I was lucky enough that I had grandparents who would bring me into Easton's and O'Connell Street pretty much every Saturday. That was our day out. So we'd go out, drive into town, park in town, up to Easton's and O'Connell Street, and I could come away with pretty much whatever I wanted. And that was my stash for the following week. And then the older I got, Uh, I developed a serious thing for comic books when I was older. I was a major comic book nerd when I was in my teens and Mm -hmm. beyond, and you never really lose that if you have it. Um, I then ended up... I remember the the defining thing about my reading, I think, when I was again in my late teens, was I read a lot of science fiction. Mm -hmm. I came to sci-fi fairly early. I remember the very first science fiction book I got my hands on, which was in, I say it was the school library. Um, When I went to primary school, we had prefabs. Mm-hmm. Um, in those days, I know lots of schools still have prefabs these days, but uh, we had we had the, the crappy nineteen eighties versions of uh, prefabs, and the library was a single bookshelf at the back that had probably maybe forty books in it. And at one point, which was a big deal, it was, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a big deal where I come from. Uh, and I remember taking out a yellow spined book, which I remember to this day, and looking at it, and reading the first page of it, and going, "Okay, this could be good." and it was in a collection of Arthur C. Clarke short stories. Um, and The first one in it is called The Nine Billion Names of God. If anybody's ever read Clarke, it's one of his most famous short stories, and the story is uh, set around a bunch of computer consultants who are all leaving uh, this rooftop of the world place that's kind of supposed to be Nepal, and they're being brought back down on... This is going to be a spoiler for anybody who hasn't read the story, but it's a good one, (laughs) it's worth it. it's about uh, th- these guys were being brought down on, on, on the back of donkeys and they've, they've done this job for the monks who are at the top of the mountain and they're having a conversation with the people who are bringing them back down. And uh, over the course of the story they explained to them what the job was that they were doing. They were installing a supercomputer for the monks at the top of this mountain because this particular order of monks, their thing in life was uh, compiling a directory of what they believed were the nine billion names of the divine. And so now that the computer era had come in, they decided to do it an awful lot more quickly by getting a, you know, tiny computer that was the size of three warehouses and brought up to the... Because this, this story was written, I think, in the 1950s, so this yeah. is an old story. Um, and I remember the last line, I think, to this very day, or the the, 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 the idea of it, which was that they are joking about, ah oh, well, we've made our money out of those guys, and they're, you know, we're all leaving now. And, and somebody asked them, so aren't they going to be really disappointed when, you know, they get to the end, and you know they haven't. An, and they're going to go. Well, that's not our problem. We've just installed the computer. Mm-hmm. And the last line is something along the lines of, and slowly in the sky above them, the stars the stars winked out one by one, and that's the end of the story. And I went, I'm sold. I'm sold on whatever this guy has <laughs> yeah. to write from mm-hmm. now on. So I read, I think everything Arthur Clarke wrote over the course of my, my teenage years, and that then blossoms and blooms out into everything I can get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never stops. It doesn't. If you, once you reach a certain, I think, cumulative mass in your life, yeah. and once you've been reading a lot frequently for so long, you go through you know, dry patches. Everybody does. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you ever... So the, you know, the question, you know, when did you become a reader? It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. always. That's, that's me. I've just never really done it for, in public for a living. It's mm-hmm. never been the thing that has been a part of my career, literally up until about four years ago.
0: And you started off in pirate radio and you worked for different stations and then you got to to join 2FM. At what point did you think maybe I can bring this load of books into my work?
3: Never. I never thought that was a thing. It's mm-hmm. never, throughout my entire life, I've never done anything book-related on any of the places that I was. There is a huge imposter syndrome which I live with all of my life that I'm mm-hmm. absolutely not qualified to do any of these kind of things. And I'm conscious of the fact that, you know, in two weeks' time I'm out in Dalkey interviewing Lionel Shriver and I'm scared shitless about doing that. <laughs> but it's not going to stop me from doing that. Um, I reached a point where uh, I had started reviewing books on my blog. I blogged yeah. for a while. I'm a very half-arsed kind of blogging. Nothing overly serious. I was very bad at it. I was very, very poor at actually getting around to doing it on a regular basis. Mm. Um, but I started blogging book reviews, whatever, about 2012, 2013, I don't know. And at one stage, I went through that moment of... Uh, being in a bookstore in Hodges Figgus, I remember the day, looking around me and getting that existential dread that you get when you realize you're never going to read every book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You you look around and go, oh, oh Christ. And it's less, it's less that you're never going to read every book, it's that you're not going to read all of the books you want to read. And every time you go into a bookstore, That avalanche is getting worse, Mm -hmm. and you are surrounded by books, by authors you like, things that you just look interesting, and you're just finding yourself further and further buried under that metaphorical pile. Mm -hmm. So I decided, I said, right, I'm going to do something about this for once. And I decided I was going to read 100 books that year. And 100 books, you know, might seem like a lot. It's not. It's two books a week. And if you put your back into it, Mm -hmm. and if you make a bit of effort, and you... Cut out a lot of the other things that you waste huge amounts of time on, then you can make the time to do that. So I think that was 2013, I think, Um, I had a crack at it. I did the either very smart or very foolish thing at the very beginning of it, of saying it publicly. Oh. oh, Because yeah. I, yeah. I knew I was going to wuss out of it if I didn't say it in front of a very large number of people. There's no point in saying it in front of your friends and family. That's because they'll just go, ah, you didn't mind. Never mind. Are ah, you just giving up on it? You're not giving up on the reason. why <laughs> You've read 15 books this year. You'll be grand. Um, but instead, I said it very publicly. I wrote a blog post about it, and I, I tweeted about it, and I said, I'm setting up my stall so everybody can keep me honest on this, because I want to do this. And if I feel that I'm going to have to make a public admission to a lot of people I don't know, that's, you know, that could keep me on track. Mm. And it did. And throughout the course of that year, I I, I said, I'm going to do a really brief review of every book I've read. I'm not a book reviewer. I'm really bad at it. I'm awful, despite the fact that I have done it, you know, a number of times the last few years. Um, I'm terrible at it. Don't tell the Irish Times. They do ask me every now and then. (laughs) Um, Martin's a very nice man. But Mm. uh, I, I, I decided I was going to do the reviews. And at some point during the year then, I got asked to review books on radio. And Arena, I think, was the first ones to ask me over on Radio One. And I was like, I was I was like, are you sure? I'm yeah. To? OK, yeah, I can do that. And I went on to Arena, and I did that another couple of times. And then I did some stuff on, I think Joe Duffy had me on at one point, reviewing books for, he does every couple of, couple of times a year, he does book stuff. And long story short, by the time I made it to the end of the year, I just managed the 100 books with about a day and a half to spare. And with a lot of heavy reading in December, I really had to put in the errors <laughs> yeah. um, And then when I got to the end of that, it was part of the discussion I was having online all the time, on Twitter in particular. Mm. So then, people would ask you the question: Would you not think about starting a book club? Would you not think about? And the problem is, most people don't know that. Even though I I work in the media for a living and I've done radio every day of my adult life, and I sit here and I'm perfectly comfortable today, I could talk for the next forty minutes on absolutely nothing in front of all of you guys. As you can tell, I'm a total misanthrope. I don't really like people at all. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. yeah, you think that's no? Seriously, Um, they're not great. Like I only choose a few that I like. Yeah, exactly. And and most of us, you know, most of us, you know, brilliant people are really missing We don't really like a lot of people. Um, So the the, the fear of me having to conduct a real book club in front of real people was something that was just never going to happen. And, you know, the the next best thing, as always, is to do it online, because then you don't have to see people's faces and you don't have to sit and have a glass of wine in their house while you pretend you like the thing they picked, and it was good. Mm -hmm. Um, I set up a Facebook group. I thought, ultimately, there will be a couple of hundred people, maybe, of the people who've been hassling me talking to me about books who might get together. And that'll be great. It'll be a nice little place to talk about books like that. And, you know, then it all goes from there. Then it snowballs. Mm-hmm. That was August, I think, of 2014 I started.
1: How well, many members now?
3: 17,000. Just shy of 17,000 now. And it's now at the point where it's adding about almost a 1,000 members on every kind of six weeks. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the, the graph of it has gone, sorry, in reverse for everybody watching, the graph <laughs> of it has kind of gone from here and it's now... It's one of those things that people add other people and they tell other people. I'm now getting messages going, I heard about it from my hairdresser. Um, There's a huge amount of real-world conversations going on around this from person to person to person. So, yeah, that's how it happens. One
0: of the things I really love about the the book club is that it yeah it does not it's not pinned down to any genre, and you you can be championing a wonderful piece of literary, a very accessible literary fiction that deserves an audience like Solar Bones. Mm-hmm. and then also maybe a few weeks later talking about a piece of science fiction that some people may have been may have overlooked for because they don't think science fiction is for them and. Is that a deliberate decision or does that just happen because the way the group is?
3: I, it, it's, it's, it, there were never any conscious decisions made about the, about the book club at all. There has never been a plan. There has never been a roadmap. There has never been... I've just kind of let it organically grow the, the way that it has. I thought at the beginning, because I, I, from the beginning I thought, right, I'm going to recommend two books every month and that'll be... And I thought it'd be one of those things where you recommend books and in a month you come back and people go, yeah, I didn't read them. And then <laughs> yes, that goes on. Except now... You know, 95% of all of the posts that happen in the book club, and there are a lot of them, have nothing to do with me. This is this is a user-generated community where I go in every day and there's been another 25 posts since I was there last night and they are all about everything from... You know, there's a guy recently from the States who started posting stuff about, you know, old old style westerns. And you're going, really great. Is that your mm-hmm. thing? Fantastic. Talk about it. Let people have a discussion. Right the way up to 47,000 posts about Eleanor Oliphant, which was, you know. Apparently, she's completely fine. Uh, she is, apparently. And apparently, we find that out at the end of the book, and that's not a spoiler. Um, the, 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 mm-hmm. the, it, so I'm not really in charge of it anymore. Yeah. It's, it's my thing. My name is on it. I do books of the month every month. I, I talk on other people's posts. I stick stuff up every now and then. I mention that I'm doing nice things with people like you here. But mostly everything that happens in the book club these days is generated by the people in it. And that's brilliant for two reasons. One of which is, you know, that's an owned community that is owned by the people who are the members of it. And secondly, it doesn't involve a lot of work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have to do yeah. very much. It's great. That's
0: fantastic. You mentioned a, a word there that I suppose will strike fear into the heart of a lot of people in book clubs who read film reviews. That is the word spoiler. Yeah. So when is a spoiler not a spoiler? When At what point does it become a spoiler? And who cares? And
3: You can talk about what happens in the Bible. That's okay. It's been 2,000 <laughs> yeah. years. I've at heard p- the
1: word spoiler so many times today. And now all I'm thinking of is like that bit on like, Young Fuller's
0: cars. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the back of a 1976
3: yeah. Ford Capri. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay.
0: <laughs> so it's, it's become, a, a, I know it's book and film reviewers are plagued by saying, well, I need to describe in some way what the film is about, what yeah. the book is about. But at the same time, I don't want to um, give anything away that could be that could interfere with someone's enjoyment of it, particularly if the if it hang- hinges on a surprise. Yep. But
3: I think we don't have that problem insofar as for re- reviewers, there's two separate questions. One of which is you're right for reviewers. That's a huge problem these days. Mm-hmm. Um, for book reviewers, yes. For movie reviewers, maybe more so. And that's that's I've seen that happen with. I've read movie reviews of stuff that I was was going to go see, and I've seen things in that that I don't want to know prior to seeing a film. I mean, having said that trailers these days show you everything that happens in the film anyway. So (laughs) there are very few surprises left in in things like that. I think for us, because it's Readers who are writing all this stuff in it, they don't feel the need to get bogged down, and you've seen this, they don't feel the need to get bogged down with telling you what happens in the book. They don't care. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of going, if you're really interested in the book, you just go, you know, look up the description on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, what they do is they get into the, just finished this, really liked it, thought the characters were great, here's why, and they give you like maybe a line or two lines, it's all very bite-sized, because almost everybody who's reviewing stuff in the book club, they're not professionals, they don't work in the industry, they're just readers who just want to press what they've found into the hands of other people, or worse still, say, "Ooh, stay away from that. So the the spoiler thing, I have very strict rules about spoilers, though, because it started very early on that, you know, you don't talk about any any plot development that happens beyond, like, the first 15 pages. Mm-hmm. You know, if it happens at the very beginning, then you might get away with that. Beyond that, no. And even the rule is, don't say, I can't believe the twist. (gasps) Don't. (laughs) That's a spoiler in and of itself. Now, I know that there are loads of books these days, particularly contemporary thrillers and and crime books that market themselves on, you won't believe the twist. Best of luck to them. But Mm -hmm. in the book club, there have been, and we have very few rows, there have been rows about people saying, you know, the twist at the end, oh, it was just, it came, because then people go, I spend the whole book waiting for the twist to happen and it drove me mental. You get so, that
1: knot in your stomach while you're waiting yeah. for it, yeah. Mm.
3: And, and you know, you're anticipating something, you know something is going to happen and it doesn't matter that you don't know what it is, it's that, you know, for a lot of people that's that's ruined their enjoyment, so I'm very yeah. strict about it. Mm. The twist,
1: I, the best part of a twist is the surprise, like it's there, that's the whole point of it being a twist as opposed to it just being...
3: Yeah, a gradual like, turn. yeah. 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 I, I, I don't think I'm too strict about it. I think it's a benevolent dictatorship amongst anything else. I think in a really nice way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Can so. I
1: actually wreck your head about that a second? I know you yeah. said everything is kind of bite-sized. Mm. The one thing I've spotted actually recently is, like, I think it's purely because of Twitter, you know, everything is kind of, well, was once 140 characters, we won't talk about 280. Um, do you think that's kind of, a lot of people are used to, you know, posting on Twitter and things like that, and the next thing you kind of think in small bites.
3: Yep. I think if you're online often enough, yeah. I I think, I mean, for people who are used to even communicating in in text, even if they're not online a lot and you're communicating in text or WhatsApps, um, I think for kids who are growing up now, it's just going to be, if you're like 12 years old now, it's going to be all you have ever known communicating in short bursts like that or just communicating in imagery um, or communicating entirely in emojis, which, you know, can be fun every now and then, but, you know, not for every conversation that you have. I think... For people like me at the you know older end of the scale, being 45, um, I think that uh, even me, because I spend so much time on Twitter, I find myself trying to make things that I'm saying more succinct than they probably need to be. Um, it's OK, because you have a switch that you can switch on in your head that goes, if I need to write a thousand words about something, I can do it. Um, but I think for just for regular people who are just, just readers and communicating like that, yeah. they feel the need to do it in, this, in the space of a few lines, because there, there can be an element of you're interested in what someone thought about this book, but not if they're going to write eight paragraphs on it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you will. you pay. You'll, you'll pay attention mm. to a reviewer that you like, or in a newspaper that you pay attention to, but maybe not if it's just you know some dude you don't know. So that's why I think people yeah. communicate in small in smaller bursts when it comes to reviews and, and, and that kind of stuff. I think I know you. You obviously had a tone in your voice when it came to 280 characters on Twitter. I I think so. the the allowance on Twitter these days of being able to tag. Tweets and, and, in other words, make one long argument out of mm. a set of eight or nine tweets, I think that goes a really long way it, to kind of countering that slightly. Yeah. Because you do find yourself, a lot of the time, maybe wanting to say something longer than, you know, three lines. And you can't do that in something like Twitter much as you love it until now, because you can now take something, patch mm, together five separate tweets, and yeah. make a, you know, a slightly longer discussion, argument, rant. Whatever about whatever you that's want. to that's
0: do. that's some phenomenal opinion pieces, some some Twitter threads, because you have to make a point every at every chunk, every paragraph has to have a point that that deserves to stand on its own, while also making continuous thread. Yeah,
3: I think that will alter the yeah. nature of how Twitter works and how and how social media of that kind works over the next four or five years. I think you might end up seeing people elongating. Don't get me wrong, when the, the yeah. two hundred and eighty. Character tweets came out the big long ones. I was going, "Ah, oh, lads, here, come on, seriously, don't go yeah. using something that long. I'm going to use my <laughs> eyes for an extra 140 characters." I, I still
1: consciously kind of cut off around the 140 mark. I'm like, no, no.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so you've got to you got to make it in the headline. Yeah. Speaking of Twitter and getting
0: back to the book club, tell me about rows.
3: We don't do them. Yeah. We have the nicest corner of the internet. <gasps> How um, that? I have a place in the internet that has 17,000 people in it. That has no trolls. It has no angry people. There are no arguments. There's no slagging, there's no anybody being nasty to anybody else, and yet it's full of opinionated people who really like talking about things they like and don't like. From day one, I was determined that once it got to a certain point, it wasn't going to be the internet.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: That is not, and I know you will have a lot of people who will say, oh, well, that's a form of censorship. People should be allowed to say whatever. No, feck off. Go and do it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I have a corner that I have here, and it's people, admittedly, who are talking about a nice subject. They're talking about books, which is something that they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And the amount of proper hardcore rows that have happened over the last two years, I could count on less than the fingers of one hand. And frequently they blow themselves out. Any time anybody is abusive toward, personally towards anyone else, you're gone, buddy. Good luck. You're oh. out. It's as simple as that. Make your argument. You can, you can say that you think somebody else's opinion is terrible or that that book they like is not fit for toilet paper. Absolutely. <laughs> but do it in a way that doesn't involve being unnecessarily confrontational. So as a result of which, there are loads of people in the book club who say, I'm never online these days. The only time I'm, on online, I'm online is when I come into the book club because I know it's all, you know, sunshine, lollipops and rainbows.
1: How did you get 17,000 nice people? I have, I have 2,800 Twitter followers and I'm currently in John McGurk's Twitter bio. Uh, I have a man no at breakneck speed in my mentions every 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. How did you manage it?
3: I have a wall. I mean, I mean, it's a Twitter, yeah. gr- it's, a, it's a, it's a Facebook group, so you mm-hmm. can liber- li- literally decide Just who gets it in out, yeah. and who gets kicked out. It, it would be the equivalent of you literally controlling everything on Twitter and being able to kick anybody off Twitter permanently forever. Oh, I love it. To- it is, <laughs> and you <laughs> yeah. know, as long as you don't let the power go to your head, I mm-hmm. mean, it does every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't let the power go to your head, mm-hmm. um, you're fine. But you, you find weirdly, you know, it's not a political discussion group, or it's not a. So when people are talking about a subject like that that they're really passionate about and they really like, it's fairly easy to to, to get them to be nice about it and human and not, you know, start taking out the slash hooks every every five mm-hmm. minutes. Um, I think it would be impossible to do what I do in the book club on an open forum if it was open to the public. Yeah. Don't get me wrong; anybody who wants to can join the book club. The only the only the only criteria for joining the book club is: Are you not a bot? Yes, you're in. Boom. That's okay. the only. The only ones I weed out are people who've joined, you know, Facebook in the last six hours mm-hmm. and have, you know, a profile picture that looks like they're not a human being, and you know, they only speak Urdu. So yeah. They're, yeah. You're, you're, all, you're not a real human being. Go away. Good luck. Yeah.
0: And one of the things that I really like about it is that people in the book club. Um, I, you often find that a lot of the authors who've written the books are also in the book club, including yourself. You're one of those authors. I am. Yeah, thank I, you. I always get a nice
3: little moment of, of, of a nice little moment of kind of ooh when I, I find authors turning up in the book club, and there are there are loads of them. Um, I think it depends on how much certain authors engage on social with their mm-hmm. readers. Some authors they're they're not anywhere on social media, you know. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Stephen King, but Stephen King's on Twitter. Um, but, yeah. you know, there there's some authors for whom that's just not theirs. For other authors, they're perfectly happy to engage with uh, readers uh, all the time. And, you know, I think it just depends on who you are as to whether or not one or the other of those things is for you. Um, there, are, I think there are a lot of authors that dip their head in And then when they realise that it's not, you know, a bear pit, Mm -hmm. they they hang around. And because there are lots of nice discussions being had about stuff, and some of them are are more prominent there than others. But yeah, it's always really nice when you find somebody else is sticking their face in, and then, you know, you don't make a big deal out of it. You just let them, you let them literally slide in the back door and sit in the back row and watch everything go on. Yeah, it's lovely. Mm
1: -hmm. It was actually your presence on social media with the book that kind of got me stuck into, stuck into this, Currently. Yes, it, I mean. yeah,
0: pretty much. I think yeah. if, if, effectively, you, 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 because of your own, because of your own, your own academic research and your masters, you had an interest in the Irish Four, and we, we started interacting. And I just noticed that you make sort of a topic that a lot of people wouldn't find very interesting, very entertaining. No,
1: yeah. we started talking because. Of oh yes, is, that's right. Is that other This my favorite story in the entire world, and it's one that I can never ever let my mother hear. Uh, I was in college, maybe first or second year like, and I was out one night and I shifted a young fella and for some reason, and I still I still can't get my head around it, he put his finger in my ear.
2: <laughs>
1: and me being the type of person that I am, I tweeted this and I was like, shifted some young fella last night, he put his finger in my ear. And Derek, being Derek, who I had never met before, I'd followed his Twitter and I was kind of like, oh, the Irish Four, that's a funny account. Derek decided to quote my tweet to how many followers it's just, did
0: you at the time? Um, was it eight or nine at the time? Eight or nine It was
1: it was enough anyway. <laughs> like it was enough.
0: It just happens as a proverb in, in, in yes. Irish that if someone's very kind of, if someone won't leave you alone, they'd make a nest in your ear. And I just thought it was a it was <laughs> yeah. an apt moment to share so it. So
1: he put that up to his sizable follower account follower mm. count at the time. And next thing I was like, oh, he's actually he's sound. Uh, soon I learned the error of my ways uh, but yeah that's how mm-hmm. then we kind of got in contact next thing he caught that I was doing what I was doing and the reason that I have been a part of the Mother Folklore podcast and everything else is because I once shifted young fella in Mantra, in Mantra in Manuth. if anyone has it, yeah, yeah someone got it, someone got it yeah, <laughs> yeah no it was, bit, it was a bit earlier than that but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that was that, was that.
3: <laughs> and, and if he yeah. ever hears this podcast, he will know he's responsible for. it. Well, in theory, he yeah. could have been—you know—he could have been doing a lot of finger ear action, so I mean, been, <laughs> I don't, I don't he know. might not I necessarily remember you.
1: That's nothing I would think about. But
3: good yeah, God, I mean, that
1: was so. You don't watch, know where
3: that finger has been. What ear has it been in?
1: <laughs> watch what authors you uh, you interact with on Twitter.
3: I'm sure I think watch. that's good advice generally in life. Yeah.
0: Watch yeah.
1: what authors you
3: interact with on Twitter, because yeah.
1: you know, yeah. Yeah, watch watch what you tweet in general. (laughs) I'm sure some of
0: you have some questions for Rick about the book club or about other things. Oh, God, I hope not. This is Um, terrifying.
3: It's entirely... This is the moment when no one has questions for me. It's absolutely fine. Someone's bound to have one.
0: Hello.
4: So you're not a fan of Peg. I wonder... Derek (sighs) might speak in pegs defense and then you can have a row it might be fun <laughs> uh fight thanks for i that. personally think pegs underrated and i think she got a hard rap and i'm i'm kind of pro peg so mm-hmm. i always like to see people hash that out a bit
3: when in doubt rely on your friends to shiv you thanks <laughs> um <laughs> I, I have yes. follow-up
4: questions relating to fingers and ears I, I, okay great I can't okay. wait
3: <laughs> I'd rather hear those if you're happy uh, do you know what I, no, don't have, I don't have enough of a memory of Peg to hate it I actually think that, that I've simply bought into that hmm. that sizable contingent of Irish people who were all taught Peg in a certain way at a certain time and who all treat it like it's the worst thing that ever happened worse than the famine itself hmm. Peg was worse than that so I think for me I don't remember enough of it to hate it that much hmm. and it's it's it, it's a bit like remembering, you know, buttered cabbage when you were a kid. I'm absolutely sure I hated it. I just don't remember what it was like.
0: One thing I'd say about Peg is that recently there was a I was on BB, I was watching one of the BBC's channels that lay at night and there's a production of uh, Hamlet starring Andrew Scott and it was being filmed. It was it was from it was in Stratford and Avon, I think, uh, but it was being filmed and you can really tell it's be a phenomenal play to see, outstanding performance, but when it was put on television, it just just didn't look right. There's something weird about having a play on television that wasn't really made for television—it was, it was an approximation. Similarly, I think Peg's stories were intended to be spoken word, and putting them in a book and making and, and reading that context is like watching a play on television.
3: I think it's exactly the same thing with Shakespeare. I hated Shakespeare in school. Mm -hmm. I hated the written nature of plays and having to read your way down through the text and memorize certain things and then have certain things told you. The first time Shakespeare ever came alive for me was when I saw it properly being performed on stage Mm -hmm. in, in The Globe, in London. And I've been to The Globe in London probably 30 times at this stage to see everything that moves. And I fell in love with Shakespeare the first time I saw it being performed by a proper cast of people who knew what they were doing in a surround that it deserved. And that wasn't something that happened to me when I was a kid reading it off the off the page. And again, it's the same reason. It's not designed to be to be read off the page. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh,
1: this is yeah. this so no, some isn't
4: kind it? of like um, site-specific peg performance would be what you're recommending.
3: I would go to that in a heartbeat. (laughs) (laughs) If somebody wants to do site-specific peg,
4: (laughs) not so Sorry to be a selfish person and ask a second question, but (laughs) I could threaten Derek that I would ask a question. Uh, And maybe Terry might have something to say here. I'm having a baby in August and I have to name the child. So do you have any boys' names? All we know is it's a boy and, quote, he's as big as a calf. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I- Irish name. good luck getting that one out that's all I'm going to say uh, yeah. I'm told he has a medium sized head so <gasps> <laughs> that's,
0: oh, that's, that's that's what you want to hear my favourite yeah.
4: name <laughs> ever
1: is Ferdia mm-hmm. um, it was Coo I just think it's a really nice name he was um Collins foster brother basically um, there's a statue of them in RD County Louth. I don't know why I know that uh, but yeah I just think it's a really lovely name Ferdia Ferdia mm-hmm. Yeah, or the um, A is another one. Aodh, it's like the Irish version of Hugh. I yeah. just think they're lovely. A. a-, a- yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, imagine how cool your child would be if his name was A. Yeah, give him little sunglasses and mm. teach him how like, to. Yeah, <laughs>
0: please. There was a name that my there was a name that my father had had threatened or had, had pre- pretended he was going to call one of us, myself, and my two brothers, and it was, Chochachika. Excuse me. <laughs> God bless you. Please <laughs> Maybe later. <laughs>
1: Imagine like giving that name over the phone, trying to order something.
0: Well, it could happen, but it, it's um, it, it means narrow of tooth.
1: All right. Wow. Okay.
0: No, it doesn't. Am I wrong? I'm getting. Sh- I'm getting <laughs> oh, we have
1: we have a reference point here. Hello. I also th- <laughs>
3: I also think it'll be the coolest thing in the world if you name your child on the basis of this panel event.
0: I think yeah, that's yeah. going to be a great thing That'd be, thing very, thing pre- ever. That'd be yeah. very present. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think that's going to catch on, but it's it's nice ones. Um, Terry, do you have a name? Uh, the old Irish
5: for, for, for calf is, is leg or leg, I think. It's oh. this, it's the same thing in Lira. Um, oh yeah, that's what I got.
0: Legs is that Kukon's uh, charity chair's name?
5: Uh, leg is it? I think so. Yeah,
1: leg. Not yeah. yeah, calf. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That would that would actually be a lovely name.
0: I think it will
3: be a great name. Yeah. Am I the only person who thinks he's going to love that when he goes to school? <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think it will be a great name.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Any more questions? Hello. Oh hi. Um, long-time Hello. fan, first-time questioner. Um, Rick, um, with your club, I love the idea of sharing something you love. And uh, with the uh, thing you do with Eason's and that author lady... Who you have the book club with? Uh, the lovely from, Sinead Moriarty. The lovely Sinead Moriarty. You um, promote books you love. Uh, I'm sure you're asked to do that for books every single day. What happens if there's a well-known book or a book with a big promotional push behind it that you don't like?
3: You mean in terms of like just me recommending it in real life and online, as opposed to me being asked to you know like write a blurb for it, or any or all of the above? All of the above. <laughs> all of the above, okay. Um, I do, I get sent books all the time these days, um, which is which is great, by the way, that's as great mm-hmm. as it sounds. The only problem is you need a lot of shelf space at home. Um, and my wife, who reads as much as I do, is now at the point where she's going, you're not bringing anything else into this house. For every book that comes in, one has to go out. <laughs> um, so there's a number of, of, of points in that. It's great in that uh, I'm not at the behest of anybody to like stuff. Um, I'm also a really stroppy bastard when it comes to that thing. You know, it, it it happens all the time that people send me books, like with little notes from the publishers going, I really hope that, you know, you like this book and you'll consider it blah, blah, blah. The only thing that matters is, you know, I look at it, I go, mm-hmm. and I read the back and I go, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then I read the first few pages and I go, that's probably not for me. And it just doesn't get read because there's such an avalanche of stuff that comes in um, these days. When it comes to the, the Easton's thing, which is only like brand new, we've done one recommendations list for that. The Easton's thing was... The essence thing was brilliant, it's one of the best things that's ever happened, because I recommend books all the time, and you either do it person to person to person, or you mention it to other people, or you do it on Twitter, and you get a bit of take-up on it, or you do it even through the likes of the book club, and you get a little track. Doing it this way means it's in like 64 shops in Ireland. It means that there's a table devoted to these books all across the whole country. That means if there's something that you genuinely really like, uh, you can get it out there where it might not otherwise have, have gotten it there. So, and, and it was one of the things that when we initial conversations with, with, with the head guys in Easons, was, you know, the criteria were if there's something that you love and we're stocking it, bingo. Um, in particular, they would like us to, to, to put stuff out there that either might not otherwise get a spotlight put on it or stuff that maybe has already come out in hardback and is coming out in paperback that didn't really get the love that either of us thought it didn't get. Um so I feel no pressure from anyone about anything. I do get people asking me to write blurbs for books which is weird. I'm not an author. Who cares about me? Mm-hmm. Um it has happened a few times and I will be brutally honest if I've read a book and I don't think it you know <laughs> I it's it's good enough I'll have to say look it just wasn't for me. It's just very So if you ever do see like a quote from me on on a book it happens every now and then I genuinely really liked it. Um it's one of those things that that I do like having principles when it comes to... I don't have principles in everything in life. I have principles when it comes to certain things. And, you know, liking and recommending books is one of them. And that's why usually when I like and recommend a book, I will go to bat for a book big time. I will rattle on about it forever because I think that this book deserves to be read by as many people as possible. it's quite nice. I like it, and it was one of the conditions about doing the essence thing as well. Was that you know we wouldn't have to? Well, certainly I wouldn't have to recommend anything I don't want to recommend. Um, and they were like, "Well, why do you think we're hiring you? So you can pick stuff to recommend." It was like, "Oh, fine." fine sorry. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's but it's it's nice to it's nice to be able to, to, to say that. Yeah.
1: Um, I meant to ask this earlier, actually, um, because you, there was a lot of discussion around um, religion and um, basically how it, how it's. Shaped Irish and all that, Mm -hmm. and we all know how to say hello in Irish. But um, one of my favorite scenes from an Irish film is from The Mammy. Oh, yeah. um, And she has a scene where her friend goes into the church every single day. She goes into the church and he goes, Hello, God. It's me, Marion. She walks (laughs) out again. And I was just thinking, How do you say hello,
0: God? Oh, there's a thought. :'t you look at it this me. Is this, is, this is um, every sorry, For those listening to the podcast,
3: for those listening to the podcast, Derek glanced at me. <laughs> yeah.
0: i'm just Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Yeah. I have never thought about that. I guess it transcends language. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's such a cop out. Yeah. Oh my god. So we'll never know.
1: <laughs> okay. That's going to keep me up at night. Hello. Hiya. You there? Uh, in
0: a question that perhaps can be seen now as a follow-up to Dark's suggestion that perhaps Peg would be best experienced in a kind of a spoken word format. Where do audiobooks fit into your love of reading?
3: Weirdly, really, they don't. I, I don't I don't at all, and it's only because I
0: fetishize paper.
3: Um, I, I don't own a, a reader or a tablet. I, I do have like a crappy old iPad that very, very, very rarely, if something is coming out that I I really want to read really early and the only way a publisher can get to me is get me a a digital copy of it, then I think I've read two books on e-readers ever. Um, And that's both in the last two years. I don't have anything against audiobooks. I, I sometimes find myself losing concentration, though, if I'm listening to... I find it happening with podcasts quite frequently. I listen to a lot of podcasts. So every now and then when you listen to a podcast, whether you're usually doing something else at the time, whether it's you're out and you're walking or you're driving or you're, you're making dinner or you're, you're doing whatever, I find myself slightly lapsing. And that maybe says more about my concentration levels than anything else. So I need physical printed words right in front of my face and I need to have no music on around me and I need to just be able to focus on, on what I'm reading. Um, so that's the only reason I don't read audiobooks. In the book club, though, people talk about audiobooks all the time because for some people, it's the best way for them to get to... Experience those stories and and books. You know, audiobooks these days are fantastic in terms of they're not what they once used to be. You know, abridged versions that were you know two hours long. Now they're you know you can get the complete work of complete works of um, Arthur Conan Doyle, the Sherlock Holmes books, all read by Stephen Fry. Like, who doesn't want to listen to that? That's a great idea. So they don't, but it's merely because I I think I have concentration issues and I I need physical pages in front of me when I'm doing stuff. And that's true about most things. I'm when I'm putting together. Documents, or when I'm look, I'm, I'm programming a, a, a literary festival at the moment, and while everybody else does all this stuff on kind of you know minority report screens and all that kind of stuff, I have index cards. I have index cards that I stick out on, on, on tables and go, this goes here, this goes here. I'm moving this to here. So every event is on an index card. I'm I'm literally that old. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello, Derek's ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Have you got a story about Derek before we before we start the questioning? That'll
5: that, that Come later. Ah, disappointed yes. I've no intention of say anything about Derek. <laughs> 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 um, mm. Anyway, the, the point I wanted to make just briefly about Peg was that um, there were there are the book is about the reminiscences of an, a very old woman who has had a tremendous amount of tragedy in her life, family and children drowning, and losing her husband, and living in very difficult situations on the island, and I think the fact that putting it on a syllabus for 17 and 18-year-old city children or city teenagers was, very, um, it was a very bad move on the part of the department. There could be very little empathy between a group, like in those years of their lives, with, with the promise of life ahead of them to a woman who has lived her life until she was quite old. And I suppose they say that we, we live life going forward, but we know what it's about by looking back. And that's where she was, and that's where the group who were studying it were. So there was, there was definitely um, a mismatch in the, in the syllabus there. Yeah. Hmm. The second point I was going to ask you was, I didn't actually know about your book club, and I read quite a bit, and I'm delighted to know. I'm just very excited. One more and member, I yes. would <laughs> ask you, just with the summer coming, um, you mentioned that books that you feel deserve to be out there and that you really want to, you'd like people to read, could you recommend or suggest three books that you would feel like that about?
3: Where would you like me to start? (laughs) Okay. Um, I said three. These are ones (laughs) ones that you might like to read for the summer. Okay. Um, I can look at... Books that I've read recently that are coming out now uh, or nowabouts that might be really good. A couple of ones I've really liked. Uh, Thankfully, they're both by Irish authors and both by first-time Irish authors as well. Um, Keelan Hughes, the poet, um, I think she's doing something here this week. She's she's in Mm -hmm. and around anyway. I I saw a picture of her. She's in Dublin today. Keelan Hughes is a poet. Um, I met her when I was doing the poetry programme on on Radio 1. She's now a novelist. She has her first-time novel out. It's called Orchid and the Wasp. Um, It is a brilliant Satire slash social history set in a a, a rich Dublin family, um, just post the crash about one of the, the 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 main characters in it, and then the story of her life and how that. I, I I read it when I was away on holidays, and I I sat in for two days just reading that book. It's called Orchid and the Wasp. Um, Helen Cullen is another new Irish author. She's got a first book out called uh, The Lost Letters of William Wolfe. I thought it was going to be slightly. Uh, slightly uh, uh, ghost story-ish or slightly whatever. It's not. It's about a man who works in the, the dead letter office in London, which is where all the missing letters go that don't, can't be delivered to people. And ultimately, it's, ultimately it's a relatively simple love story between um, two people and about the nature of being in a relationship up to a certain point and then going, is there something better out there? So I really liked that a lot very much. Not just because the publisher is in the room. I will recommend um, Jade Sharma's Problems, um, but you need a strong stomach for it. Um, because there's 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 literally sexual content on every single page of that book, uh, I mean that in the best possible way, and it 's one of the one of the most honest pieces of writing I 've come across in a really long time but you know be be aware of the uh, the caveat that that goes with that yeah, really nice. yeah and you know what it is the papers lovely. and it 's a kind of short read as well so there 's only a short amount of sexual content in it as well um and uh, uh, I, 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 could really, I could go through all of these uh, all night for you. I really loved I'll give you even one from the last Easton's List that I did, which is um, John O'Connell's The Cow Book, um, which is not written for me at all. Um, John O'Connell is uh, the man who's a son of a Longford farmer and uh, went away to make his life working in media uh, in Australia and in Canada and ends up finding himself back on the family farm I know I'm talking for a long time. I'm still going to watch Dark. Don't worry, it's Grant. (laughs) I'm going to stop now in about five seconds. Seriously, I'm conscious we've run over for about eight hours here now. Um, And he ends up finding himself back in the family farm um, after a situation that's slightly vaguely um, alluded to in it. Uh, And it's about spending half half a year in the life of that farm and him finding himself back there. It's one of the best nonfiction books I've read this year. And I'm so thrilled to see. It comes out from a kind of smaller press as well, from Granta. And the fact that it's selling bucket loads uh, in Ireland, nothing to do with me or to do with any of that. It was selling before we started recommending it. But the fact that people have found this story and 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 are are cottoning onto it, and again from an Irish author as well, is is is, is great. There are other books written by authors from other countries, but you know, eh, whatever.
5: Could I just have a very brief comment on two books? One I'm about to read, and one I have finished reading. Finished reading Reservoir 13, and just about to read the Tattoo. Um, uh, the Tattoo. Of of the tattoo art. of Auschwitz. Yeah, yeah. Um, Could you give just a brief comment on those for me?
3: Yeah, Reservoir 13 is one of the best things I've read in the last five years. Reservoir 13 is amazing. The Reservoir Tapes as well, the Follow On, which was a series of stories written for um, BBC Radio 4 and have now been compiled in, in book form, is brilliant. If you liked Reservoir 13, it kind of fills in some of the spaces in some of the stories in Reservoir 13. Um, I, I left it way too long to read that. People have been recommending it for ages, and sometimes I resist a book that's been recommended to me by everybody, and I shouldn't have, um, because it's unlike a lot of other things you'll read, and it's beautiful, and it's elegant, and it's fantastic. Um, the Tattoos of Airtuals, I haven't read, but is one of those books that in the book club is now becoming something. It's developing a critical mass of people all recommending it. Um, and it happens with three or four or five books a year that they're nothing to do with me, and then people cotton onto them, read them, recommend them within the club, and other people then go, oh, that's really great. So that has now become one of those kind of cumulative mass books uh, in the book club as well. So while I can't recommend it personally, I know an awful lot of people who can.
5: Thank you very
0: much. Do we have time for one more question? Oh, hello. Hello. Oh. Hello.
3: oh. We have two short ones. You know. <laughs> okay, two short ones. Are they yeah. evicting us? They, uh, when did they turn the lights off? I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Five more minutes, are fantastic. Great, thank you. The boss says five. Thank you.
2: Hey, I was just, um,
1: like a while back, you talked about like how Shakespeare was a lot better, like, listened to in a live performance than like was read in a book. But <laughs> I was just gonna say that I think the opposite of that is a one man play because I think if you read a one man play, it's just, you know, people talking, it's fine. But I, uh, formally believe that, um, Watching a one-man play live is the most terrifying, and awkward experience of anyone's <laughs> life. Uh, we have to do after school for two hours, and I generally, it was, it was. I just, I kind of like that day for me. It's just like, oh God, because he just, he was just running around and he was jumping around, and I just want your opinion
0: on one-man plays and Do you think they can ever be good, or do you think like me and they should be banned from existence? I'm thinking
1: of that from Friends.
0: I'm glad you asked this because <laughs> in, in college, someone said that the the worst words to hear are, you know, we need to talk. And someone else said, no, the worst four words to hear are, are one-man lunchtime play. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that's really
3: hard. I think that depends on the man and it depends on the play. I, I'm, I'm with you. I have seen, I've seen, look, plays in general, whether there's one person in the cast or 15, where after 15 minutes I've wanted to chew my arm off. And I go to the theatre a lot. Um, however, uh, I've seen, uh, w- seen one-man bits and pieces on a number of occasions mm-hmm. over the years. Um, actually, one of them is Shakespearean-based and I'm just thinking about it now. It's called I, Peas, Blossom... Uh, I, Malvolio, sorry, because there were two of them together. They were done in The Peacock a few years ago. Um, and they're based on characters in Shakespeare. So one of them is based in, in Malvolio and Twelfth Night, and except the, the play is Malvolio's story. And it's written uh, in all of the bits where Malvolio is off stage in Twelfth Night. Because Malvolio is kind of hard done by in Twelfth Night. Mm-hmm. You know, terrible. Okay, he's a bit of an ass and he's full of himself. But, you know, terrible things happen to him. Um, so the, the play that I saw there was brilliant. And it ran for whatever, but it was about 50, 60 minutes on stage. I couldn't take my eyes off, off, off the, the guy who was performing it. Uh, I think it depends on the man in the play. You yeah. may have seen one that just made you. Don't let that put you off the experience of one man plays forever. I, I don't think that, that, that would be fair in the rest of the world of one man theatre. Or one person theatre.
0: One amazing one-woman play is Bag Lady by Frank McGuinness. If you get a chance to see that, check it out.
3: Yeah, and actually, A Girl is a, a Half-Formed Thing, the, again, weirdly, one of those weird things, which is a theatrical adaptation of a brilliant novel. Um, I saw Aoife Duffin do it as part of the Theatre Festival a few years ago, and I came out of it feeling like I'd been beaten up with a sack of doorknobs. It was amazing. It was one of those things. I've heard very similar things about... Um, uh, uh, recently um, griefs the thing with feathers which again i couldn't get tickets to and everybody else wanted tickets to as well and i heard fantastic things about people should just in general go to the theater more yeah no just
0: idea do you have one more question oh yeah i'm I'm hoping i get this question right because i've been thinking about it all day um so (laughs) well who's it for Uh, (laughs) it's it's for uh, everybody terry included um so it feels kind of like there's kind of a someone mentioned the cultural revival when all these things were being written about Celtic Ireland and all the rest of it and it feels like we're at the cusp kind of of something the amount of groups that have popped up on Facebook and but speaking Irish and using Irish and Irish people trying to integrate Irish in their lives your podcast your book these things coming out it feels like there's kind of a moment happening I don't I don't know that's not even a question Mm -hmm. but it's sort of do you get that impression or do you feel like something happening like I'm sitting here Nine months ago, I started learning Irish again. In fact, my my Irish teacher sitting behind me. Yeah, oh, yeah. no she, pressure. She um, yeah, I'm not going to try. Um, mm. But it's just is, is something happening? I don't I don't know. Can you it's on, I, on that? I think I suppose it's. Um, I can only speak from my own experience. I think that there, I believe that there is, and that I think that one of the reasons that we started the podcast in addition to the book is we wanted, I wanted to change the way people talk about Irish. I felt that the way that we people I knew were experiencing was so different from the conversations we'd always hear on the radio, about the way it's taught this, about signage this, about the of translation this, but when we brought the podcast together, we were talking to people who were doing phenomenal things, creating coding languages in Irish, doing interesting things with the law in Irish, doing interesting things and in people rapping in Irish, people writing music in Irish, people think dreaming in Irish after going to school, people who, um, who went to girls' schools went to... We went, to, went to third level education or work in another country and how those memories interact a bit and i found that that there's an awful lot more to say than what we were hearing and i think maybe now that some of those stories are getting out people are realizing maybe it's been going on longer than we, we were maybe we were just noticing it more now but there is something happening that's been wonderful
3: i think just as an outside observer of this i think you're absolutely right i think the thing that summed it up for me was um I think whether you put it up or whether I saw it, it was a picture of a young lad, an Irish lad, and he's somewhere in an airport, somewhere in Italy, somewhere, and he's sitting, obviously, waiting for the flight to go, and he's just sitting there with this, you know, kind of, you know, big red head. he's been away on holidays for a couple of weeks, and he's got, you know, the farmer's tan, and he's got his shorts on, and he's sitting there reading mother folklore, and you're going, that, if you can get to that guy there... And then make it something that doesn't appear to be something that is being literally cracked a whip at with you. And I think mm-hmm. things like that are, are really important. I can only talk from the things I see around me as well. Now, remember, I work in RTE, so RNG are literally over my shoulder. I hear <laughs> Gaelic being spoken all day, every day, by an entire subsection of the radio building who are immediately behind me. But having said that, there's actually Irish groups and Irish uh, classes that are put together. Outside of Ornergy, like half of 2FM speak, um, I still sit in the 2FM section where where I am, half of 2FM all speak Irish. And so they have, you know, meetups and get togethers and sessions where they're they're learning, gradually learning a little bit more Irish every day. And they're not doing it because they have to. There's no like requirement, you know, when you're playing pop music or you're producing, you know, Breakfast Republic that you need to be able to speak Irish. They're doing this because they want to. And they're doing this because it's something that has, has taken hold there. So again, I see it happening around me every day as well.
1: Yeah, I think especially with like one kind of final note, we've got um Patter uh, as part yeah. of the motherfuckler team and he is one of the founders of like the Pop Up Good Hook. And I think that has just like that it's snowballed. Mm-hmm. Um I would never even though know, you'd walk into a pub in, in Dublin or wherever you're from, you'd never kind of think like
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'll start up a conversation here in Irish. Like there's some outfit in there, he's probably gonna stare you out of it. <laughs> but next thing you've just got, you know, pubs jammed with people.
0: And absolutely jammed to people. And All I'm
1: to do is have the chats and drink points.
0: And jammed to the people to the point that people are being turned away for being, un- for being under 18. <laughs> oh, where's the and fun of that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like can't be speaking there. Irish. I think maybe, maybe, maybe the trick is to get teenagers into the Irish is to ban it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe not. I'm, j- I'm obviously being flippant. But there is, there is a, a wonderful moment. And the fact that that public guilt have happened outside Ireland as well, in places as far flung as Shanghai and New York, it's been very encouraging. Wonderful. Before um, we
3: finish, you asked me to pick my favourite Irish word. I did. I, I right don't want right. you to forget it. You I was right about to ask oh, you that. That yes. was going to be the, the final oh. moment.
0: Rick, what is your favourite Irish word?
3: Um, it's, it's weird in that it's one that I remember noticing for the first time, I mean, it's years ago, and in my head, I hope I'm right about this, in my head I translated it, like literally. And I've always thought it means this, and if it doesn't, I'm now going to seem very foolish. So here's where this goes. When I go through the airport, every time in Dublin airport, in the security section, there's the word green graphadoracht, Mm -hmm. which is, it's a prohibition against photography. And obviously in my head, green graphadoracht literally means writing with light, which is an exactly perfect illustration of what photography means broken down in two words so every time i go through security in dublin airport i look up and i go green graphadorics there it is Mm -hmm. and i (laughs) have that little moment of acknowledgement of there's a little part of the code i cracked myself without not really knowing it but piecing it together from bits that i've had from somewhere green graphadorics
0: fantastic class thank you so much for joining us tonight
3: my pleasure